This morning, I would like to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. That just means that while you're still living in your natural body, you're at home in the body and you're absent from heaven and from the Lord. And then notice in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now we know we have to walk by sight here in the natural realm. And if you have your vision, you are blessed. And if we didn't have natural vision, we'd be stumbling or needing someone to guide us. But when Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight, he's talking about in the spiritual realm. We walk by faith, not by sight. And if all we have in this life is our natural vision, then we're in trouble. But the Bible would teach us that faith is to our soul what eyes are to the body. How many of us treasure our natural vision? I do. Thank God for it. But I also treasure faith, which is like eyes to my soul. and helps me to see things that I can't see with my natural eyes. There are a lot of things in this universe that you and I can't see with our natural eyes that are very real. Somebody said one time, I'm just not going to believe in God because I can't see him. And the question was asked to them, do you believe you've got a brain? They said, of course. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> Come on, that's a fair question, isn't it? Have you ever seen a mother or a father's love? Just a tangible love? No. Do you believe in love? It's very real. It helps make the world go round. So there are a lot of things that we believe in that we cannot see with the natural eye. God is one of them. We can't see God today with the natural eye, but by faith we see him and we believe in him. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, the apostle Paul would say, through faith, not by human reasoning or sight, but, by, but through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God just spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let it be. And what happened? It was so. Over and over, God would say, let it be, and it was so. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So everything that you and I can see today with our natural eye was made by God, and by faith we believe that. When I read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, I don't stumble at that. I just believe it by faith. How many of y'all are with me? 
How many of y'all think it just got here by random chance, by accident? You wouldn't believe that about the automobile you came in this morning. You think it just got here by random chance? Those vehicles we drove to church in were designed and then they were built. And the universe we live in was designed by God and then created by Him. And we understand that by faith. So faith is a blessing in the life of a child of God. Faith, the Bible says, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. People who are dead in sin, never been born again, don't have this kind of faith. Man has natural faith in natural things. Um, some people say, I don't have faith. Well, if you put your money in the bank, you probably got faith in that bank. That pew you're sitting on this morning, you probably got faith in it or you wouldn't have sit on it. <laughs> we have natural faith in natural things. But this morning, I want us to look at spiritual faith and what a blessing it is in the lives of God's children. And I want to go back to one of the great examples of living faith in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, we find the Hebrews enslaved in Babylon. The Jewish people had become disobedient and rebellious toward God to the point where God allowed Babylon to come in and overthrow the land of Israel and took away tens of thousands of Hebrews into Babylon as slaves. Now Babylon was a great empire, but so was Israel. And if Israel had stayed faithful to God, the Babylonians could have never conquered them. But sadly, the Israelites became disobedient. They became idolaters. So God suffered a pagan nation to come in and overthrow them. Do you all believe that could ever happen to America? I really wonder if we're not seeing it today. Now, Tens of thousands of Hebrews were taken into Babylonian bondage. And while they were there, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a very proud, arrogant monarch, built an image 90 feet tall and 9 feet thick, covered with gold, and he sent out a decree that everybody in Babylon was to bow down and worship this image. Y'all remember that? They were to bow down and worship it. And, and the decree went out to um, notice in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar was wanting all of Babylon to worship this, this, this idol that he set up. And it was very impressive, 90 feet tall. 
That was an incredible image, wouldn't you say? Nine feet thick, covered with gold. And Nebuchadnezzar had an incredible orchestra. All kinds of instruments together to play. And this, and this image was out in, in the plain of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is calling for all the Babylonians to bow down and worship the image. Y'all remember that. Now, there were three boys in Babylon who refused to bow down to worship the image. I suspect a lot of you remember their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three young men. Hebrews who had been in Babylon for a good while and they refused to bow down to this image. And by the way, these three boys didn't have to have a committee meeting and get their heads together to decide what they were going to do. They knew what God had said to his people. The first of all ten commandments was thou shall have no other gods before me. Y'all remember that? Well, here is a God that Nebuchadnezzar is putting up that is to be worshipped in the stead of the living and true God. And these Hebrew boys would not bow down and worship it. So when Nebuchadnezzar found out that these boys would not bow down, he was furious. He was angry beyond description. So he comes to these boys and says, if you all will bow down and worship this image, everything will be okay. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Put yourself in the place of these three boys. Everybody who was somebody in Babylon had gathered out on the plain for the dedication of this image. The counselors, the sheriffs, the rulers, the priests, the captains, the judges, they're all out there. And they're going to bow down and worship this image. And there's three boys Young boys who say we will not do it. Now let's notice what they say in verse 17. If it be so, our God, our God. You get that plural pronoun our? You know who they're talking about? They're talking about our God. The God we gathered here this morning to worship. How many of y'all came today to really worship God? That's why we're here, isn't it? Is he worthy of our worship? Indeed he is. And so these boys say, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... I want you to listen now, beloved. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and and the form of, of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they threw them into the burning fiery furnace. Now I just can't imagine a worse way to die than to be burned alive. Can you? And they had this furnace seven times hotter than was necessary. And these boys know they're going to be thrown in. But notice what they said. They said, our God is able to deliver us. We know he's able, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Beloved, how many of us today have that kind of faith? You and I are blessed to live in a land of freedom. Y'all do know that. Our freedoms are... (laughs) being eroded, I'm I'm sad to say, in some ways. But we right now, this morning at Cool Springs Church, are enjoying one of the greatest freedoms any nation has ever had on the face of this earth. You know what we're enjoying? Religious freedom. Those of us who are not familiar with history really don't know how to appreciate our country. I want to tell you, America is unique in the history of the world. The freedoms that we enjoy today are almost unheard of in the rest of the world. There have been all kinds of religions, even under the Christian banner, that have persecuted people who didn't agree with them religiously. I'm glad to tell you this morning that the Baptist, there is no history anywhere where Baptists have ever forced anybody to convert to our religion. Now, we've tried to convert people, but we don't take the sword and force people to convert to our religion, our way of thinking. But most other religions have. The Muslim religion, brutal. Muhammad was a man of the sword, and he built the Muslim empire by putting people to death that would not worship according to Allah and Muhammad. Many other religions are like that. You and I are blessed to live in a land of liberty and freedom. But if that's ever taken away, God forbid it, but if it's ever taken away, how many of us this morning have enough faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we would show up right here this morning knowing that there were people here, soldiers, with bayonets waiting to take us away? That's a sobering question. And I don't guess any of us would ever know the answer until we were actually tested. But I know one thing, I want that kind of faith. I want it. My God is worthy of that kind of devotion and worship out of Sam Bryant. He's worthy of that. Now, There are different kinds of faith in our world. And I want to think about them a little this morning. There is such a thing as a gullible faith. There are people who just believe in anything that's presented to them. Have you all noticed 
how deceptive advertising can be in this country. If you watch advertising on TV or the billboards or the internet, uh, you'll be told uh, that a certain athlete eats this kind of cereal, so you ought to eat it. Certain movie stars use this kind of makeup, so you young girls ought to be using it. Certain men drive a certain kind of automobile or truck, so you ought to be driving it. And you know why they spend billions of dollars on all that advertising? Because it works. And the reason it works is because people are gullible in their faith. I want to eat the kind of cereal, first of all, it's good for me, that I can afford. I want to drive an automobile that I can afford and is dependable. I don't want to buy something that somebody has pressured me into through advertising. But I want to tell you, Americans are gullible. (laughs) We'll eat anything as long as they advertise it. We'll drink anything as long as they advertise it. Gullible faith. Now, we don't want gullible faith. We don't want to just bow down and uh, go with everything. And somebody may say, well, Brother Sam, everybody's doing it. That's probably about the best reason not to do it. You know, they say there's white lies and then there's black lies and then there's statistics. (laughs) You can lie with statistics. You can say, well, everybody's doing it. (laughs) Well, you need to check the numbers. Don't go with the crowd. When you read the life of Jesus Christ, you find out that the multitudes stopped following him and only a few of his disciples were following him. So, beloved, don't have a gullible faith. Don't, don't be, don't be uh, deceived by advertising or by the multitudes. Please don't do that. See, uh, Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot image covered with gold out on the plain And he had an orchestra playing music. Now that would be appealing to man, wouldn't it, by nature? Look at that glittering statue, 90 feet tall, covered with gold. Listen to the music. Wow. And all the governors and all the counselors and all the sheriffs are out here. We better go with the crowd. (laughs) Beloved. I want to encourage all of us today to draw near to God and live by faith and not by sight. There's another kind of faith that I think is revealed here in our text, and that's cowardly faith. See, there were tens of thousands, maybe 70,000 or more Jews that had been taken in to Babylonian captivity. Only three show up to worship the true and the living God. The rest of them, where were they? Where were all these other people who had been blessed by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where were they? Why weren't they refusing to bow down? What kind of faith do you and I have today? I want to say this morning, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to have courage in this world because people will laugh at you and make fun of you. Years ago, I heard about a young boy on a college campus who was walking around with his Bible. 
And some of the bullies were laughing at him and saying, oh, he's a sissy. Look at him. He's a, he, he's a Bible reader. He carries around his Bible with him on campus. He sits out there under the tree and reads his Bible. He's just a sissy. And this young boy, this Christian, heard all of that he wanted and finally walked up to one of the bullies and handed him the Bible and said, let's see if you've got courage to walk all over this campus holding this book. Are y'all getting this point? It takes courage to live a Christian life, to follow Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a boy, I, I, I ran with a crowd that uh, I shouldn't have been with. But you know, I was, I was in touch with that world at that time. One day the Spirit of God came into my life and changed me and gave me a love for God and a fear for my Heavenly Father. And I remember sitting in the dining room at school by myself because I just didn't want to hear the other conversations, the vulgarity and the dirty jokes. And let me tell you, it took a little faith to sit alone in a dining room at school. But you know what? God's faith will enable us to do that. Where you work, you may be around people constantly that are worldly and carnal and talking about sexual adventures and such. And you don't need to participate in that, but you're going to have to have courage to not participate in it, to stand alone if necessary. Faith in God will give you courage. Are y'all getting this? Our young people need this kind of faith. When they go off to school and college, they're going to be bombarded by everything imaginable. They're going to hear all kinds of things that are not according to the Word of God. And they need Christian faith to enable them to have the courage to stand up for what they believe in. That's what you and I need today. Old people can give in. You and I need courageous faith. <clears throat> you know, when Elijah met the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There was 450 false uh, prophets and they were representing Baal up there on the mountain and God had only one man to show up. You remember his name? Elijah. How many of y'all would like to go up against 450 false prophets? It was, it was a test. But Elijah believed in the God of the universe and the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so he said, let's have a contest. You all build an altar, and if your God will come down in fire and consume the offering, you, we'll worship your God. But if he doesn't show up, then we'll ask my God to come down. So they built this altar. And these 450 prophets of Baal prayed all day long to Baal to come down and nothing happened. These prophets were so zealous they cut their veins and let their blood flow into the ground of Mount Carmel. And still their God didn't show up. One man, a man of God, Elijah, built an altar. And he not only built the altar, he ordered water to be brought out of the Mediterranean Sea to cover his offering. <laughs> Barrels full of water in a trench around the altar. And then he got down on his knees and began to pray. And you know what happened? 
fire came down from heaven and devoured the offering and the water in the trench around it. And you know what happened? These 450 prophets fled and Elijah went after them. Now that's the kind of faith I want. What about y'all today? Y'all want a faith in weak, frail men? Or do you want faith in a living God who's not getting old, not getting feeble, and he's a faithful God? Oh, I want a courageous faith, not a cowardly faith. And I often pray that God will bless me to preach in such a way that people will have this kind of faith in their lives. Another kind of faith that we see in our world is what I might call commercial faith. In other words, they, they live this way. God, if you will do this and this and this, then I will worship you. If you'll give me a good job, if you'll bless me with good health, if you'll give me a good wife or husband, bless me with healthy children, bless me with a nice automobile, then I'll worship you. But if you don't, I can't trust you. That's commercial faith. And I hear that kind of, that kind of faith being taught a lot in our world today. There are preachers who say, if you just had enough faith in God, you'd never get sick. If there's sickness in your home, it's because there's not enough faith in your home. Somebody's not living by faith. If, uh, you know, it, it's the prosperity gospel. Uh, it's the word of faith ministry. In other words, and what, what a misuse of faith. In other words, God, if you'll do this and this and this, then I will serve you all the days of my life. Well, that was not the attitude of these young men. You know what they said? Our God is able to destroy us, but if not, if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image. You know, this morning we were singing some beautiful songs, and I remember the first song that was selected this morning. I want to I turn and just uh, call it to your attention. <clears throat> Uh, 332, th 331, through the shadow. Master, oh, why do the clouds hang low? Why does the sun no longer glow? Why is my going so staid and slow over the sands of time? Through the dark skies, oh, let me see glimmerings of eternity holding a welcoming light for me over the path divine. The song just gets better. And, and one reason I love this song is because when I went down to Hebron Church, when I was a teenager to pastor that church, there was a sister in that church named Sarah Coward. Some of you probably knew Sister Sarah. She was a wonderful sister in Christ. Um, when, when her last, she had, she had eight boys, no girls, just eight boys, and when she was carrying her last child, Johnny, who is a dear friend of mine about my age, her husband died before he was born. And then she lost one of her sons. He was a pilot of one of those big bombers and it crashed down near the Caribbean. And then she lost another one of her sons. And then uh, uh, one of my best friends on this earth was killed in a car crash down in Savannah, Georgia. She had lost four of her eight boys and, and lost her dad and struggled to make ends meet. 
I want to tell you, she raised some of the finest boys that Georgia has ever known. Incredible young men, outstanding young men. I saw two of them recently, very successful in business, very faithful to the church. But, but almost every service, Sister Sarah would select this song, Master, oh why do the clouds hang low? That song spoke to her heart. That woman knew what trouble is. She knew what heartache is. And yet, I'm glad to be able to stand here this morning in this pulpit and tell you I've never known of a woman of greater faith than Sister Sarah Coward. She was faithful to God to the very end. She didn't get bitter. She didn't get angry. Now you put yourself in her place. None of us would sign up for anything like that. To me, the saddest thing in life is for somebody to bury one of their children. That would just be, that would be beyond words. But I want to tell you about a faith this morning that would enable you to stand up in such an awful tragedy. Do y'all believe that today? Because you see, this faith would bless you to know that that child is growing up in heaven. <laughs> and someday you're going to see them in a better world than this one. How many of y'all believe that? See, I want to tell you, the gospel is something that needs to be real to us. Not just intellectually known, but known deep down in our souls. I heard a pastor one time talking about a young girl in his congregation. She was 15 years old and she was a member of the church and a Christian, but she came for counseling and she was very depressed. And uh, he, he talked to her and he said, well, honey, you do realize that you are blessed, uh, that God loves you and God gave his son to die for you and he's coming back to get you and take you to glory. And she said, yes, pastor, I know all of that. But she says, how's that going to help me when not one boy, not one boy in school will ask me out for a date? Now this girl knew in her mind that God loved her. But somehow it had never worked its way down into her soul. Where it was a living reality. I want to ask you all this morning. If God loves you. Are you listening? If God, the God of this universe who made the heavens and the earth. If he loves you. What else really matters? Come on now, that's a legitimate question. If God really loves you and gave His Son to die for you on the cross and you know He's coming back to get you and take you to glory, what else really matters if no boy wants to invite you out for a date? Well, no girl accepts an invitation. Are y'all really connected? Are we connecting here? See, once this gospel gets down into your soul and you're really living it, wow. I want to tell you, it's glorious. It's just glorious. A lot of people come to church and they listen and they hear. And if you gave them a test on Bible doctrine, they'd get an A+. <laughs> but they're not living it. See, faith enables it to be real to us. And I want to tell you, when your faith is like it ought to be, you wouldn't believe in Jesus any more than if he walked in that door right now and his body 
and started working miracles. He's on his throne. He's real. And you and I need to live by faith. These Hebrew boys, God didn't deliver them from the fiery furnace, but he delivered them in it. Because, you know, they threw them in. And I'm sure people around said, now those foolish boys, <laughs> they were trusting in Israel's God. Look at them, they're in the fiery furnace. And you know what? The men who threw them in, the fire was so hot it burned them. <laughs> and these boys are in there walking around in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar goes and looks in. And he says, didn't we throw in three? And behold, there's another one in there like to the Son of God. <laughs> and the Bible says when they came out of that fiery furnace, not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. You know, the only thing they lost in that fire was the ropes that bound them. <laughs> How many of y'all really believe this story now? Or is this Mickey Mouse to y'all? I believe it. I believed it for 55 years, and it just gets more and more real to me as the years pass. It's a real faith. The faith Abraham had, God appears to him at the age of 70 and says, I want you to pack up and get out of Ur of the Chaldeas. And God didn't tell him where he was going. <laughs> he just said, get up and get out. And Abraham did it. It takes faith to step out on the promises of God. See, beloved, you and I are weak. I like that song, uh, I am weak, but thou art strong. Do y'all remember that song? How many of y'all can witness? I know I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm just a, I'm a 72-year-old, about to be 73-year-old man, frail body, and I can't do anything much on my own. But I want to tell you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I get a witness from anybody in the house today? I want to say to these children here this morning, listen, I know you love your mom and your dad, and you ought to. You're blessed to have good parents. But I want to tell you, what you need, what I need, is the God of heaven and earth. And he's just, he's just a prayer away. <laughs> I don't know what the future holds. I don't want to know what the future holds. I'll take it one day at a time. I love that song, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who will be out there tomorrow and next week and next year. You know who's going to be out there? Come on, folks. <laughs> God is going to be out there. The living God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, when we think about our country that we all love dearly, and I know you all love America, I do. I love to pledge allegiance. I still, I tell you, I still, to this day, when I'm where we pledge allegiance to the flag, I just, I get emotional. I, sometimes I'll feel chill bumps running down my spine. Do y'all ever experience that? I'm telling you, we live in a great country. 
When the national anthem is sung, I have many times shed tears. I love America. I tell you what I believe made America the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Three C's, I call them. Christianity, the Constitution, and capitalism. Free market capitalism, those three. Christianity, where would we be without the Christian in, influence in America? Come on. If you know anything about it, it's sad that, that American history is not being taught in our schools today like it should be. Our children need to know about the influence of Christianity on our country, how it influenced our founding fathers. Ben Franklin, who was not known to be such a good godly Christian man, but he knew there was a God in heaven. And after the Revolutionary War and the colonies, 13 colonies sent representatives from each colony to represent in Philadelphia. And they were going to try to come up with a constitution. And every colony wanted to protect their interest. And it looked like the whole constitutional convention was going to end in total failure. Ben Franklin got up, an old man in his 80s, and he said to this distinguished gathering of patriots, he said, my fellow Americans, if a bird cannot fall from heaven without God's notice, He said, surely we cannot build up a nation without his divine help. He quoted this from the Psalms. Now this is Ben Franklin. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And he called on the convention to start praying. Now this is history. This is, you can, I, I suppose they still got this on Wikipedia. I'm getting where I don't tr trust Wikipedia. <laughs> but I know it's true. I wasn't there. I know some of y'all think I was old enough to be there, but, but I know it happened. Ben Franklin called on the convention to pray. And you know what happened? Within just a couple of days, they began to write the Constitution of the United States of America. You know what's made our country great? A Christian faith and men of wisdom to write a constitution. I tell you, I, I've never read the constitution all the way through. I ought to. I used to carry a copy of it in my pocket. I would refer to it some. I tell you, do y'all know what an incredible document that is? And the freedoms that we're enjoying this morning because of it? Folks, you think Satan loves America? You think this world loves Christianity? These three great things, Christianity, the Constitution, and capitalism are being attacked in our country every day. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I want to tell you. The devil who had Babylon bowing down to a worship, to an idol, would love to have America bowing down. Our country has forgotten God. Hollywood has so much influence in the world. 
And most of what comes out of Hollywood now is not decent for human consumption. You say, how do you know that, Brother Sam? I don't have to take a lid off of a sewer to know it stinks. <laughs> Are you all listening? You don't need to be watching that trash. If you want to go back and watch movies made in the 1930s and 40s, the golden age of Hollywood, no profanity, no nudity. <laughs> they did smoke now. <laughs> but I want to tell you, our country has fallen under awful influence. Nelt and I met a young woman in Warner Robins a few days ago. And, and she was in the Air Force and she was getting ready to go to California for her dad's funeral. He was a high-ranking officer in the Air Force and he had passed away and she was on her way. And, uh, and I thanked her. For her service to our country. And I thanked her for her dad's service. And I am. I, I, when I see a soldier, I say thank you. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm getting a free ride in our country because I never served in the military. She said, I'll tell you what my daddy would tell people like you. If you've got a moral compass and you follow it, you will do as much for this country as anybody. How many of y'all believe that? You know, that blessed me. I want to follow a moral compass. We need salt and light people in this country more than we need the military. And I treasure the military. We need God on our side more than we need the nuclear bomb. I'm talking about a God this morning that can take care of us. But if we forsake him, he's going to let the enemy come in like he did to Israel. Like he let Babylon come in. Y'all say, that won't ever happen here. Folks, who would have ever believed 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that babies would be legally killed in the womb? That's premeditated murder. Abortion is. 60 million innocent little babies murdered? Are y'all, y'all know what's going on? Who would have ever dreamed that homosexuals could legally be married in this country? We've come a long way in America, but it's the wrong direction. You and I can be salt and light. I know we can't in ourselves. I know people give in to the pressure, the pure pressure. I understand that. But let me tell you about a God who will give us the faith to help us to stand. And having done all, to stand. I love all of you. I love your families. I love your children, your grandchildren. I know you all love me. The church here yesterday called me to come back for another year as pastor. And I want to tell you, I'm deeply humbled and, and, and honored by that call. And I accepted that responsibility because I love this church and I love all of you. And I love the kingdom of God wherever I've been. And I'm thankful for the church in this world. And let's all try to make it stronger, right?
Don't y'all want to make this church stronger? We want to all be on one team, right? And if you love this church and you have a burden to join, I want to encourage you to do it because we need people who love God and love the church. We're not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, please go on down the road and good luck finding one. But if you want a church that loves God and loves one another, I believe you found it right here today.